This is the Out of Water Podcast. Out of Water is a production of Rio Vista Community Church in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. You can find it on iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify. We hope you'll subscribe and give us a good rating to help others find Out of Water. Welcome, friends, to another edition of the Out of Water Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Lautenschlager, and joining me, as he always does, is our pastor of education, Reverend Sam Kasten-Smith. And today, ladies and gentlemen, we should have pristine quality audio, because for the first time ever, both Sam and I are on fiber optic connections. I'm very excited nice. about that. I'm very excited. about. I can hear the difference, by the way. The quality of your voice coming through with your faster connection and my faster connection really does sound different to me. And you can hear the speed of light? I can hear the speed of light doing its job here. So so last week, Sam and I were in Genesis chapter 4, the first part of it, where we saw the conflict between Cain and his brother Abel, in which Cain killed Abel. And then God came in and confronted Cain. And Cain said that, had that famous question, am I my brother's keeper? And we talked at some length about the fact that the message there to us is, yes, we are our brother's keeper. Um, and so that's all in last week's episode. If you missed that conversation, please go back and pick that up. Um, this week, we're going to be picking up in verse 13, which comes on the heels of God telling Cain in verse 12 that um, that he is going to be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. And so Cain then in verse 13 says, Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Hmm. And the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. And Sam, I think the question that we start with here is, who was Cain afraid of? You know, it's yeah. like we, we feel like there weren't many of people around back then. <laughs> so, yeah, and this is a question that a lot of people ask, and there's different theories, um, one of which, you know, you'd mentioned before we were recording that some people think that there were like these other generic types of creatures that were similar to human beings. I, I <laughs> refer to them as department store mannequins scattered <laughs> around the world. Yes, I, I did right. say that. So, but but the Adam was created specially, and then you know the race that we have today, and uh, you know, I, I think a, a lot of people try to stretch to make this work. Where I tend to be more comfortable um, is in thinking through this. When you get to chapter five. We're told all the genealogies, and one of the things that you find in the genealogies is that people's lifespans and their windows of fertility are, like, insanely longer than what we know today. Right. And so we're told Adam has Seth, who's going to be the third son. So Cain and Abel, um, they have their event, and then after that, Seth is born, and we're told that Seth is born 130 years into Adam's life. And so the whole Cain and Abel pericope has to be contained inside that 130 years. And so that begs the question, how is the world filled with all these people? Um, And so my best attempt to answer that is just to kind of point out, one, the the longevity of life is different. So no human being outside of Abel has died to that point of 130 years. But beyond that, 
the windows of fertility in the ancient world before the flood are described as you know much longer. So, for example, Seth is going to have a son when he's 105 years old, and Enosh is going to have a son when he's 90 years old. That was just a common thing. And so you're going to have sons, grandsons, great-grandsons, all multiplying all at the same time. And birth rates would have been dramatically higher than anything that we know today. One, because that was the primary command of God, to be fruitful and multiply. So that's the mission, right? Right out of the gate. Um, But even beyond that, in an agrarian culture, you just had more kids. So if you went back to, to the American Revolution, so even in our, you know, fairly modern age, you go back to the American Revolution, um, the average woman had seven kids. And so in that generation, they they essentially quadrupled the population with each woman. And so even if you just applied quadrupling to those generations that come immediately after Adam with Cain and Abel and Seth, uh, the numbers grow pretty quickly. So you would grow from 2 to 8 to 32 to 128 to 512, 2048, depending on how many generations are squeezed in. And so when Cain is driven off, we're talking not just you know a handful of people, but hundreds of people. Maybe even thousands. And maybe even thousands. Right. So, and, and one of the things that you point out, pointed out before we started talking is they're not going to be indifferent toward Cain. Right. They're related to Cain and Abel, and Cain killed Abel, which means why is Cain afraid? There's not many of them out there, but they're looking for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, this is family. Look what you've done to our family. You killed, you know, Uncle Abel or right. great Uncle Abel. You Word know. got around, you know. <laughs> We're going to take care of Cain. Yeah. And so, like, one of the things that's fascinating about the story of Cain and Abel that we kind of we, – we hinted at last time – Uh, But it's very intentional. The language that's being spoken in the story of Cain and Abel is deliberately making you think back to the garden. It's making you think in Genesis 3. So, for example, when Cain comes to God with his offering and the Lord doesn't receive it, we're told that Cain's face falls. It, it, It fell, and that's very intentional language. And God is telling him, no, 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 let me be the lifter of your face. And then we're told, you know, there's a creature, you know, sin is described in creaturely terms and you must rule over it. Well, that's the the cultural mandate. Mm -hmm. And so then you have death entering the world as a result of it. And so it's following all the patterns of the fall. And what you find here, he's, you know, just like Adam and Eve, their consequence was to be removed out of the garden with a, with a, ground that's now you know cursed and not giving easily now god is laying on curse a curse on cain that's even more so because the blood has fallen into the ground now now the ground's not going to give you anything right and he's again now he's putting him into it's like concentric circles or something he's pushing him even farther away you know now he's going to be a fugitive he's going to go further east um and just like we talked about when we did the uh, Genesis 3 talking about the fall, God, when Adam and Eve chose to spit in his face and rebel against him, God doesn't just come to them and say, okay, here's your consequences and you know, I don't care about you. He, he shows unbelievable tenderness. You, know, you pointed this out that he, he sits them down and clothes them mm-hmm. before he moves them out of the garden and you see that even though God is grieved by this, he still cares. He still shows t- tremendous mercy and tenderness to Adam and Eve before putting them out of the garden. And and these are two people, Adam and Eve, who showed some semblance of remorse, you know. Right. 
Cain is the opposite. He is he is entrenched in this kind of callous, you know, I don't know where my brother is. Am I my brother's keeper? I mean, he doesn't care. He's not repentant. He's not remorseful. And when God lays down this punishment, what is Cain's only concern? You know, he's concerned for himself. Yeah, me. Oh, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Right. You know, he's not saying, "Oh my goodness, what have I done to my brother? What have I done to you, Lord? This must be grieving your heart. I'm so sorry." It's entirely self-absorbed, and and what you find the Lord doing here again is quite stunning. You know, here's the God of the universe who's just seen Abel killed. His blood is crying out. I'm sure Adam and Eve are utterly devastated. I'm sure there were very real tears and and great heartache going on in this. And what does the Lord not do? You know, he doesn't come to Cain and say, you disgust me and I'm going to destroy you. Um, He gives a punishment. You know, there's consequences for those actions. Right. But then he shows this incredible mercy of telling Cain, the murderer, the unrepentant murderer, I will defend you. Yeah. What? I mean, that's, you're just like, wait, 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 what? And and it reveals the heart of God. We read right past these stories and we kind of make God into this objective, distant God that's, you know, far, far away. But he's incredibly tender, even to the wicked Cain, mm-hmm. you know, and Cain's not going to be remembered well, you know, there's no salvation moment that comes for Cain in the scriptures. And yet God is concerned with justice and mercy, even for wicked Cain. Yeah. And Cain says that uh, to God, behold, you've driven me today away from the ground. Like you're saying, that's the acceleration mm-hmm. of that. But we also should pause for maybe just a minute and say, what did that mean to Cain? Well, back in those times, that meant that you were then cut off economically. Like God was taking away your means of support by telling you that you couldn't get anything out of the ground when that's all you knew how to do. What he was essentially saying to Cain is the way that you know how to support yourself, the way that you know how to make money, to live, to survive, that's now not going to work for you anymore. So, you know, when, when when we process this story and we say, what was Cain really facing? One of the things that he was facing was a complete loss of his livelihood as well. Mm-hmm. And I think it's interesting that Cain says, and from your face I shall be hidden. You know, one of the one of the expressions in the ancient world, and we, we see this in benedictions, you know, let your face shine upon me. You know, Cain could is not happy with the Lord. You know, the, if, you, if you remember our last episode— Cain actually is very interested in himself and is not interested in worshiping the Lord. He's not interested in what he can do for the Lord. He's not. He doesn't understand grace. He feels entitled. He's not in love with the Lord, that's for sure. And yet there's still, you know, when he says, my punishment is more than I can bear, and then he says, from your face I shall be hidden, there's a recognition even in Cain that your face brings me good. You know, Mm. when your face shines upon me, Mm -hmm. I've received good. And I don't really care about you, but I want your positive countenance to shine on me because I recognize that good things, everything I have comes from you, but I still won't submit to you. It's it's rebellious to the bone. Mm. You know, it's it's screaming at God. You know, I don't don't want anything to do with you. I'm not going to apologize. I'm not going to show remorse, but I still want your blessing. And how many people... To still to this day have that kind of mindset. Sure. 
um, I want your blessing, but I don't want you. Right. That's what, go, going back to that's what you said about Adam and Eve mm-hmm. is that they wanted equality with God more than they wanted God. Mm-hmm. Um, that was their, you know, their sin. Was a, what was their sin? Their sin was they ate a bite of the fruit. Maybe it was an apple. We don't know. But they ate something. I'm like, no, that mm-hmm. wasn't their sin. Their sin was one where they wanted to have equality with God without having God. They valued that more than they valued him. And that's, I think, you know, Cain here is, is sort of doing the same thing. Now, it, the Lord says that if anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. I know that, you know, numbers in the Bible always mean something. Is there significance, do you think, in that God is saying, hey, if anybody kills you, I will take vengeance on him sevenfold. Is the seven mm-hmm. important? Well, the seven is always a number of I've, – I've never thought about it in those terms with this particular story, but seven is always a number of completeness. It's the days of the week. You know, you'll find seven being used – um, in terms of like a full cycle of something, it, it means complete. And so I'm, I'm imagining what the Lord means by that is, you know, you might take um, a moment of vengeance against Cain, but my vengeance upon you is going to be complete. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, maybe. I think there's definitely something to that. You know, seven's not an accidental number in the Bible. Yeah. I just, I was imagining one of these like, um, you know, modern crime drama type mafia movies where it's, I'm going to come kill you and your whole family. You know, I was kind of picturing God sort of in that Marlon Brando role telling them <clears throat> that not only would he take care, not only his vengeance would be you and your whole family. Mm-hmm. Uh, was, that's definitely something to that. Yeah. I think it is degree. I think you're right there. Yeah. It's a big warning. I like warning. the accent. I, 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 can't do, I can't do good mafia accents. I'm sorry. Um, and then it says, and the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. There's been a lot of debate. I've heard many people back and forth about what they say about this mark, the Lord, mark of the Lord on Cain. I, I would say it's, pro- it's certainly something that would be visible. People would see him and say, that's the one that God has marked. Like his, mm-hmm. So it was some kind of a, of a visual thing, would you say? Mm-hmm. For, absolutely. Um, and that's not uncommon in in the ancient world. Like if you go and you know in Ezekiel chapter nine, there's talks of people having marks put on their foreheads so that they could be identified. Um, and it's it's that same same idea. Um, you know, he's going to be easily identified. The Lord doesn't want anyone to be confused. So if you do this, you're going to be clearly defying the Lord because it will be obvious that my mark is on him. Yeah. So then it tells us that Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod as east of Eden. As you've been pointing out, they're moving to the east. It's like they're all moving east out of the garden. I thought I thought it's interesting, too, to say that, that Cain went away from the presence of the Lord. That stuck with me as I was reading the rest of the chapter, which is talking about the descendants then of Cain, because in the in the rest of the story that we have here, from Cain down through Lamech, we don't hear God mentioned again, period. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the line of Cain is going to be universally terrible. Yeah. Um, they are, they're, they're wicked. In fact, you know, this is the first time. It's interesting because Cain can't, he can't get sustenance on his own. The ground is not going to work for him. Right, his livelihood so, is gone, right. Right, and so we're told he builds a city and, and he brings in other people. And one can imagine he's going to be dependent on these other people. Um, trading or maybe living off of animals, I'm not sure. But that's that's the idea. But the land of Nod literally means wanderer, 
so God has God has told him you're going to be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and he goes to the land of Nod, which you're, you're assuming is named for that east of Eden, and Cain is just lost. Mm-hmm. You know, it, the idea is he's literally lost. He's out of the presence of the Lord. He's out of the presence of his family. He just goes and he becomes this wanderer. Um, and probably to an area where there weren't people. You know, he probably mm-hmm. went off and settled in, in, like you say, sort of an open space. Was it called the land of Nod before he got there? Probably not. It's probably right. someplace that he went and said, okay, this is where I'm going to stake, stake out my claim. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a lot of Hebrew words that receive their names because of what happened there or yeah. because of how things happened. Um, like the name Nimrod literally means when you get to Genesis 10 and he becomes you know, this rebellious figure. Well, Nimrod comes from the Hebrew that literally means to rebel. So right. he's probably taken on that name based on his actions rather than, you know, like I, I doubt his mother at birth was like, oh, let's name him Nimrod. You know? <laughs> but so, in the Hebrew, a lot of names come from what they're associated with. Somehow the the, ner- the name Nimrod has gotten a bad connotation <laughs> over the years. It might have been a good name at one point, but these days if I go, yeah, Nimrod, you know, it's just not yeah. a good it's not a good thing. Yeah, no no good connotation there. So uh, verse 17 picks up, says, Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. When mm-hmm. he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. Um, obvious question here, Cain married his sister? Would you mm-hmm. say that's probably the, the likely it case? It would have to be. Yeah. So, or a niece or something, but yeah, yeah, and the family. I know that people have said, you know, oh, that's – but the the prohibition against intermarriage within a family uh, didn't come until hundreds and hundreds of years later. So that particular thing, which is Cain marrying his own – it didn't really have any choice. I mean, these are the people that were were there, and obviously Mm -hmm. things were different about the genetic – (laughs) <laughs> makeup of those of humans uh, at that time before the Great Flood, because the fact is they're living hundreds of years, which we're not doing. So um, I don't think that there's anything to be read into that all that much. I, I know that some people will bring that up as another statement as to why there had to be, you know, like Cain went and married one of those mannequin people, you know, that kind of thing. I'm like, <laughs> no, nah, it doesn't necessarily have to be that way. Um, now this uh, this Enoch here, Cain's son Enoch. This is a mm-hmm. different Enoch than Seth's son Enoch, right? Correct. So okay. there's going to be an Enoch in the line of Seth, and he's going to be the one that just kind of we'll see in a minute, just kind of walks with God and is taken taken away. This Enoch is not a righteous Enoch. So there's a couple of names that are going to be repeated. Like there's okay. two Lamechs too. Okay. These are popular names. It's like, you know, you're starting humanity. Get, <laughs> get original here. <laughs> well, you know, you're thinking, hey, there's not many of us. This will be the first time anybody's used this name. And then you find out that your cousin over there is like, great, you had a Lamech too. Good. You know, that you know when, we, when we had Jacob, we named him Jacob thinking this is a good, strong covenantal name of a guy who is zealous after the promise you know, of God. And then all of a sudden there were like 5 million Jacobs everywhere. And we were like, why in the world is Jacob the most popular name and the year that Jacob was born? And it turns out that was the year uh, that Twilight was really big. And Jacob is the the vampire or the wolf or something. He's the werewolf. Team Jacob. <laughs> I was I was Team Jacob. I was on the I was I was the werewolf. That was Team Jacob. So now the there's a million was Edward, Jacobs. By the way, just just to show you that I did read the vampire was Edward. You were either Team Edward or Team Jacob. Yeah, I'm not sure I would brag about that, Mark. Uh, it's, it's, it's very true. <laughs> 
then we're told that Enoch was born Irad, and Irad fathered. Yeah, Mech- good luck with these. Mehujel, 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 something like we'll that. We'll go with that. Mehujel fathered Methusel. <laughs> if you usually, almost always in Hebrew, you stress the last syllable. So, so Methusel. Mehujel. Okay. okay, and then it would be like Methusel, Shell, or Methusel. Sure. Okay. So then Methusel <laughs> fathered Lamech. Now I get to Lamech. I can do Lamech. Uh, and Lamech took two wives. The name That's another of- one that has two. So Lamech is going to be the father of Noah and the other line. So there's not there's two Lamechs. Right. I think this is interesting because this there's a this Lamech here doesn't end well. This little story is not going to be a particularly good story. Mm-hmm. And it starts with this this tidbit of information. And Lamech took two wives. Hint um, hint. Hint hint. This doesn't end well. (laughs) Um, Taking two wives is not the sign of somebody who's going to be a very stable person. It's also not the sign that they're going to be a stable home life. There's going to be problems there. There's going to be competition. It's going to be strife. I can't think of a time in the Bible where we're told they took two wives and there wasn't a problem. Yeah, because I don't think there is one. (laughs) You know, the Bible, you'll hear that sometimes, like the Bible has polygamy and like like it's approving of it. And the reality is it's every time you see it, like you said, it generates major problems and right. reveres, ca- reveals character flaws. And we talked about the fact that uh, that was kind of the social support system, the social mm-hmm. network system in that time was that if you had a relative who died, you were expected, a male relative that died, you may be expected to take to marry their mm-hmm. wife also. Or if you had an unmarried daughter, you'd get them married yeah. to somebody else that was married because they needed that to be taken care of. Yeah, it's called, and even even in the days of Moses, it was written into the law. It's called the Leveret Laws, and the reason behind that was you can imagine, you know, if you're in a place where there's no publics, you know, and you don't have a job or an industry, you know, there's lots of people who would have starved to death had there not been these safety nets. And so polygamy, if you had somebody who had means, who had wealth, rather than watching, you know, people dying, you would bring them in as servants, maid servants, mm-hmm. uh, concubines, wives, and you would, like, I mean, it was, this sounds horrendous to us, but you would, you know, give them a line. You would give them children, and they would be for your safety, because, you know, we don't we don't appreciate this today, but most ancient cultures were patriarchal, yep. and if you didn't have a, a husband or a son, you had no property rights, you had no, no nothing, and so women were extremely vulnerable in the ancient world. Right. Um, and so polygamy was seen as merciful even. And if you took the wife of a deceased relative and fathered a child, and that was a son in particular, that that son would then inherit what the dead relative would have owned and thereby mm-hmm. providing for his mother. So it was as much of a, of a social economic thing. But in this case, I don't think that's necessarily what no. this idea of Lamech took two wives tells me something about Lamech. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The name He's going to be an appetitive not so good guy. Yeah. The name of the one was Adah, the name of the other Zillah. Adah bore Jabal, I'm Jabal, Jabal. Adah, I'm going to go with Jabal. Adah bore Jabal. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. Apparently we don't do a lot of naming variations here. We have Jabal and Jubal. Uh, he was the father of all those who play the lyre and pipe. Hmm. And there's thing. a lot of people who who make the case that these these roots of the words then later on tie to other things like Jubal 
well, what do you what's what do you you almost want to finish it? Jubilation, Jubilee. jubilation, right? Yeah, and right. So it's lyre and pipe. Yeah. Um, it's musical, and then the next one, Zilla also bore Tubalcane, and he's all the bronze and iron. He forges you know, metals. Yeah. But so you get that, but also take off the first part of that name, and you get Vulcan, which is you know going to become in in Roman mythology. Yeah, and mythology is going to be very much, you know, over the same things. Yeah. So uh, it says the sister of Tubal Cain was Nema. I'm, I'm not going there. I'm, I'm just I'm terrible with these names. I'm sorry. Uh, Lamech said to his wives, Edah and Zillah, hear my voice. You wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. Big speech coming here. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is 77-fold. What a thing to say. <laughs> yeah. First first of all, first of all, I've killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. It does not sound like this was something that deserved killing. So the first thing we know about Lamech is he's not a good guy. You know, he killed somebody for for what? For getting punched in the nose or something like that? And and so what are you saying? Like this is this is the way our society goes now it's it's like if i'm wounded i'm going to scorch the earth you're on right um and so this is setting up you know where god is a god who shows mercy and a balance of justice and mercy here comes lamech and what he's saying here is you know if god is going to revenge sevenfold let me show you how strong i am my vengeance is going to be 77 fold and what he's essentially doing is saying you should fear me more than god my vengeance is far worse you know you could do a minor offense and i'm going to kill you i'm going to destroy you mm-hmm. um and that's it's it's setting up total opposite of god's ethic um and and Lamech is it reveals that in this era cuz Lamech is going to be the second to last generation before you find the flood, but it's just wickedness. Everybody turns violent. There's, there's if you if you wound me in the slightest, if if you hurt my feelings, I'm going to destroy you and everything you are, and it just becomes a vengeful society. And the Lord looks at it, and what we'll find in Genesis six and seven is that it breaks his heart. Yeah. You know, it, it literally fills his heart with pain. The world has just become disgusting and mean and angry, and there's no mercy whatsoever. Mm. Let me bring up a point here, because there's a thing that's interested me about this situation. This was only, however long it was, I mean, we know there was 130 years with the Cain and Abel thing, and I don't know how many more years since then before we have Lamech and whatnot, but this is not that long after the Garden of Eden. It's like these people had in their generational memory, in the memory of people that are still alive that could tell you the stories. Mm -hmm. Adam is still alive at this point. Yeah, about direct interactions with God and about this Garden of Eden. It's like when we did our personal worship on uh, during this Heroes of the Bible series, Jesus is Greater series, we started with Abraham. And one of the things that I kind of talked about in that first day of personal worship is that, you know, there that there were people alive in the day of Abraham who were born like right like Noah did not die until right around that same time. It's like the people mm-hmm. after the flood were still there, and it talked about how people had sort of forgotten God and turned away from God 
already by the time of Abraham, and that was just a few hundred years after they wiped out the world with a flood. Mm -hmm. And here, it's just been a few hundred years after they were in the garden with God, and they've, they've like, Lamech is, ah, God's not, I don't, God's not in the picture at all anywhere. I am stunned with how quickly man can turn against God. It's like Mm -hmm. just in the space of one generation. You know, one of the things in my lifetime, I came to faith right after 9-11, and I came to faith partly as some of the consequences of things that happened after 9-11. It really revealed just how fragile some of the things were. I was in the finance industry, and that went haywire. Um, and it just revealed how how unstable the mm-hmm. world is. And I remember, you know, if you remember September 12th of 2001. I do. Everybody was going to church. Everybody was praying. Everybody was looking after their neighbor. Everybody was doing these things. And you, you like all the signs all over buildings, we will never forget – We've already forgotten. Yep. You know, you know, at that time we were like, we really need to lean on the Lord. That's gone. Like, you know, in twenty less than twenty years. And all of that is a memory. It's yeah. it's so far gone, that that sense of unity. I mean, people lament it that it's gone, but it's gone. And it, yeah, I mean if I were to if you're a school teacher, former school teacher, so you're gonna know what I mean when I say the day that will live in infamy. But if mm-hmm. I were to say that to – if I were to go out on the street and, and grab some 14-year-old or 25-year-old or and say, what day will live in infamy? Do you think any of them are going to say December seventh, 1941, Pearl no. Harbor? No, they're not. But in my generation growing up in 1960, that was part of, you know, hey, the Pearl Harbor. Remember Pearl Harbor. Before that, remember the Alamo. We have <laughs> remember 9-11. We as a species – have the the ability to retain in our memory of like a gnat. It's just like it's just gone out of our <laughs> gourds immediately. And I just no more so than here with Lamech. I'm like, dude, you are just like mm-hmm. Cain had conversations with God. He could have told you about that and you're like, well, man, just forget this God thing. If God can can take revenge seven times for Cain, me, Lamech, I'm way worse than God. Mm-hmm. Uh, that to me is such a remarkable thing. Just the time span there, how quickly people turn away. Yeah, and and the thing that that blows me away in all this, like when I go through Genesis, the way that it hits me, and it almost, you know, you you don't want to pity God because He's not a God to be pitied, but He has made humanity to be in relationship with. You know, as we talked about in creation, He set humanity apart gave humanity his image, has essentially from creation said, you are going to be my bride, Mm -hmm. pours out unbelievable blessings, and at every turn, what you notice is Adam and Eve spit in his face. Then here comes the next generation, and Cain essentially spits in his face, and Mm -hmm. you keep going, all of Cain's descendants, and then, then you not only get the spit in the face, but let me show you who's really powerful, the mocking of God and the the you know you you think you're powerful well look at me i'm going to i'm going to take all of your creatures that you love so much all of humanity and i'm just going to bring my justice and i'm going to be the one who tears everything down and i'll do it 77 fold you know way more powerful than you i mean it's just you get the sense like when i think of god and how infinite his love is toward humanity and then I have to stop and think, and he didn't, like, press the button to just annihilate it all. Yep. 
it blows me away. His mercy, his patience that he would sit and watch, you know, and by the way, as we're going through this, it's like there's very few exceptions. When we get in chapter five, it's not like the line of Seth is really, really worshiping and chasing after the Lord. There's like a couple of exceptions in the line where like Enoch walked with God, and it makes it a point to tell us, hey, he walked with God. He was different. Or, or Noah and all the earth, and we're talking for sure thousands of people, probably tens of thousands of people on the earth in the days of Noah. And it, like, think about this. There was one, one man that God looks at and says, there he is. He's faithful. Everyone else, this intense love of God, this intense desire to be, you know, uh, with people, to love people and be loved with people and be in relationship with people. And at every turn, we're so stinking wicked, we just spit in his face and go our own way. Mm -hmm. Um, And the patience and mercy of God to just continually press on, Mm -hmm. um, it it breaks my heart for him. And I don't know that it should, but like when you get to chapter 6, when it says that God's heart was filled with pain – we read right past that and go, yeah, whatever. He's God. Deal with it. You know, it's like, holy cow, like we are callous. We don't mm-hmm. stop and think. This cost the Lord a great deal to be merciful and patient, to press through for our sakes through all this mess. If any people should have been able to stick to it, to stick mm-hmm. to the Lord, it should be people that just saw him. <laughs> that just spoke to him, you know? And... And and yet they didn't. And, you know, it, in a sense, it's kind of merciful that God includes this in the scriptures because what it, what it reveals is God's mercy is so great for humanity that nobody is ever off limits. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like if – you know, how many times have we seen God's faithfulness right up close and personal where we know it was the hand of God – and in the next breath, we're, we're doubting and faithless or, you know, right back into the mud puddle, you know. And I think that's just the condition of the human heart. Like we are so self-absorbed. That inward bent of selfishness is so overwhelming that it, it's sending the message that nothing can overcome it except something that is tr- infinitely supernatural. Yeah. And that's the power of the gospel. It will require the death of God to change us. Mm-hmm. Like there's nothing less that will suffice. We are all so self-absorbed. We need something radical beyond measure. Um, you know, and his patience, which is infinite, his mercy is going to be infinite on the cross. You know, it's it's going to be poured out for us. One of the things that Lamech says, we've mentioned this in a previous episode, but you have God who comes and says, hey, if somebody harms Cain, I'm going to, to pour out justice or vengeance on them seven times. And the Bible makes it clear that vengeance belongs to the Lord alone, right? Right. And, and Lamech comes along and he says, no, no, no. I'm going to pour it out. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is 77-fold. And we've mentioned this a few weeks ago, but I love this. In the, in the New Testament, Jesus is going to pick up on this very language, and he comes saying – Peter comes to him and says – it's Matthew 18. 
Peter says, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I have to forgive him as, <laughs> as many as seven times? I mean, you get where Peter's heart is. He's like, I, I want love, vengeance. <laughs> I love Peter because Peter is there to like, so I can see myself in the New yes, Testament. So yes, that that's me coming to Jesus going, how many times do I have to forgive this fool? Yeah. Hey, yeah, do I, will I still get into heaven if if I give up on this guy? You yes. Know, like, like, he's asking, what do I have to do at a bare minimum? Yeah. <laughs> you know, how many how many times do I have to put up with this? And he says, as many as seven times. And Jesus responds, and is totally pulling this right out of Genesis four. He says, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy seven times. And so, what Lamech is bringing in evil. This, if somebody even slightly harms me, I'm going to pour out vengeance on them 77-fold. What Jesus is saying is, is if you're wrong, if you're wronged and you're hurt, you pour out mercy and forgiveness 77-fold. Right. Um, so just as radical as Lamech is with vengeance, Jesus is saying you need to be every bit as radical with mercy. Mm, that's and good. that's the mark of the people of God. Yeah. Well, and you... God's response that you know he he was his vengeance would be sevenfold was in response to somebody killing Cain mm-hmm. and Lamech was like if anybody wounds me if anybody offends yeah. me I'm going to hit you seventy sevenfold that's right so verse twenty five gets on to say uh, and Adam knew his wife again and she bore a son and called his name Seth for she said God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel for Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. Um, that phrase is interesting to me because, I mean, obviously we sort of say, okay, the, the, the line of Seth, which would be the godly line, the line mm-hmm. of Cain, the ungodly line, and, and society has sort of broken down along those lines ever since. I think it's interesting that it says at that time people began to call upon the name of the Lord. Did Adam and Eve not call on the name of the Lord? I think what this is speaking like when I read this, it's it's a um, it's an intro like into the covenant community of people. Uh-huh. Um, like so, so Abraham, for example, um, when he's first called, you know, it'll say that he comes into the land and he began he builds an altar and he began to call on the name of the Lord. And I think that means you know it's it's he's expressing his trust in the Lord, mm-hmm. where Adam and Eve saw God face to face, right? This in my in my mind, I'd probably have to research this a little bit more, but in my mind, to call upon the name of the Lord is insinuating that he's not you know present with you, you know, right. in, in the same way that Adam and Eve was. Like this is this is talking about faith. You're calling upon the name of the Lord. Mm-hmm. You're you're placing your trust there in something that's not seen. Seth would have been therefore the first generation for whom God wasn't there. I mean he he just wasn't he wasn't present with them mm-hmm. immediately and, and tangibly. Um, and and this name thing, you know, this is going to be one of the, the most important metaphors of the Bible that we look right past. Um, but in the opening of Genesis, whether or not you're seeking to make God's name great or whether or not you're seeking to make your own name great is going to become one of the driving metaphors of whether or not you're a person of faith in covenant salvation or not. Mm-hmm. Um, whose name are you seeking to make great? And that's going to be a theme that will follow throughout the Bible, and it, it looms very large uh, when we get to the Tower of Babel, mm. where it says you know they're seeking to make a name for themselves. We'll see it in, in Genesis 6 as well, with people wanting 
to make names for themselves. Mm. So um, chapter 5 records the generations of Adam, the descendants from between Adam and Noah. And I'm really not going to go through all the names. <laughs> I was wondering. I was wondering. <laughs> I am not going to read through all the names. Let's just say all the names are there. And so the things that the things that stick out to me about this, okay, a um, couple things. The first is everybody lived a really, really long time. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, 900 years in some cases. Adam died at 930. Uh, Methuselah, the oldest man in Scripture, goes 969 years. Yeah. Um, so obviously there was something that was very different about mm-hmm. people on the other side of the flood. Um, you know, obviously God had said as part of the flood, we're, when we get to that story, that when God is, is setting things up, he's like, you know what? Men are living too long. Like, like that's part of the problem. Um, and it was his design that there would be a, a limit, a cap, if you will, mm-hmm. on human lifespans. Um, why do you think it was that living a long time was such a problem for, for man? You know, I, this is, this is going to get a little heavy. Um, but it, my thought on it, I mean, this is the first time I've thought of that question, but the first thought that comes to my mind is something that C.S. Lewis talks about when he talks about hell. Um, and he says, you know, inside of all of us, there's this this root that's taking, you know, and if, if grace doesn't cut it off, if grace doesn't call us to repentance, then our bitterness and our anger and our selfishness and our discontent will only grow if nothing's there to stop it. And so, I mean, imagine... Imagine living 900 years and constant disappointment with a fallen world where everything is eventually going to be disappointed, where you can't count on anything, and the world is just training you to be angry. Um, now imagine, you know, we, we live 70, 80 years, and even in today's society, you know, the the uh, <laughs> the common perception is, you know, the older you get, you're, get off my lawn, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so I imagine, am that guy. I've become that guy. I, I'm already that guy. I'm 42, <laughs> and I'm that guy. <laughs> you know, but now imagine that being 900 years. Like, yeah. how bitter would you become in a world that's fallen and broken, and everything is disappointment that's eventually? And so, I think it's a mercy of God. You I know, like and that. and by the way, the Bible doesn't come and say. Um, the Bible recognizes this as a departure because in Genesis 6-3, God comes along and says, hey, I'm shortening it to 120 years, period. Right. That's going to that's gonna be the outlier. And that, even still to this day, is pretty it's much the pretty outlier. Pretty much it. Yeah, that's it. I, mean, I just saw John McCain's mother 108. died. 108. Isn't 108. that amazing? So, <laughs> it's crazy. You know, getting up there, the oldest American ever to die died in 1999 at the age of 119. So that 120 years really is kind of the outlier. I mean, I think some people have lived longer than that that we have recorded but that's pretty much the the far far outskirts of how long people are going to live yeah and i honestly think that's god's mercy i don't want to live in this fallen world longer than 120 years <laughs> please no <Yeah. laughs> like don't cryogenically freeze my body if anybody ever tells you i wanted that that's a lie <laughs> <laughs> let me go um it does seem to me like the stories that you hear about people that live those long times even within our 120 year lifespan 
What's remarkable about them is that they don't seem to be consumed by bitterness and, mm-hmm. and by strife and by anger and so forth. And so I think that you're right. I think that, you know, for the for the majority of us, which are, <laughs> it's like very few people are able to kind of get through this life and think that everything is just, ah, this is so much fun. For those you of know, us that are more normal, I think it is a mercy that we're not going to go that long. And and you look at some of the, you know, the studies that they're doing lately, you know, the impacts of your life expectancy that stress has or anger or loneliness and right. all of these, you know, it's serious, seriously detrimental to your, your lifespan. So, yeah, I mean, it, I think people who are who learn how to navigate this life well will have better health before we wrap up the chapter here with the genealogies and by all means if you want to go read the genealogies here genesis chapter five knock yourself out if you're good at pronouncing the names record yourself pronouncing each one of those and send it to me so that i don't have to skip this chapter next time but uh (laughs) down in verse 21 we have the other enoch okay and this is in the line of of uh the line between adam and noah he's a descendant of seth it says, when Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah, and that's the guy that lived the longest. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah for 300 years, so that's 365 years. Um, thus, all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Um, that's an interesting phrase there. Uh, what do you think it means that Enoch was not? The traditional interpretation of this, which is what I what I hold, is that he didn't experience death. You know, there's there's two people in the scriptures that are taken from earth without experiencing death, and one of them is Enoch, and the other is Elijah. So if you know the story of the chariots of fire, he's taken away without without suffering death. And I think one of the one of the things that's going on here, I think God does this as kind of an object lesson for everyone else. You know, here's a man who uniquely walked with God. You know, this is this is in an age that's you know long after the Garden of Eden. You know, hundreds of years after the Garden of Eden, um, when men are you know calling on the name of the Lord. And I I don't think all of Seth's line worships the Lord. By the way, it's not like all of them are good, but there there are these exceptional faithful men that emerge. And Enoch walked with God, and so the Lord is is I think showing here that death does not have power over those who walk with God. Um, and the Lord took him, and that's mm-hmm. that's kind of bizarre. We go, well, where is he? <laughs> you know, what happened to his body? You know, there's all kinds of questions that come from that. But I think the basic message that I walk away with here is I think God is pleading with people saying, those who walk with me will not suffer ultimate death. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Lord took him. Yeah. I think that, uh, you it's know. Literally, he was not found. It's like he, he disappeared. Right. He walked with God, and he was not found, for God took him. So then we get to the end of the chapter. Lots of, we get to another Lamech, different Lamech, not the bad Lamech. We get to Lamech, the father of Noah. Mm-hmm. And it reads in verse 28, when Lamech had lived 182 years, an oddly specific number, he I just mm-hmm. one of the things I like though are the specific numbers in scriptures because the scripture because people are like do you really believe these numbers I'm like if I was going to make up numbers <laughs> I'd round them off wouldn't you yeah wouldn't you say when Lamech and, lived 180 years he fathered a son and all other mythologies are oh, they're always rounded around yeah you know like they're always right on the dot for a hundred or a ten or whatever yeah and so so if somebody says to me how specific. old is Methuselah nine sixty nine. That's how old he was. Why yeah. would the Why would the Bible make up a weird number like that? Uh, so when Lamech lived 182 years, he fathered a son and called his name Noah, 
saying, Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil now, of our hands. Now hear that. What is he looking for? Who, who is he expecting Noah to be? He's expecting Noah to be the promised one that's going to yeah. free us from the curse. That's right. And he even names him that because the name Noah literally comes out of the word that means rest. And it's like we've been toiling. That's the curse, right? We've been toiling. We've been dealing with the cursed ground. We've been dealing with thorns and thistles and all that sweat and everything else that came in the curse. And when Lamech names Noah, he's saying, out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one will bring us rest from our work mm-hmm. and our painful toil. So he's, he's saying this is going to be the one who delivers us from the curse. And that's the hope. And so you're, you're intended to go into the story of Noah that's going to launch shortly after chapter 5, and you're expecting, is this going to be the one? I mean, of course, we know the whole story of the Bible, but as you're reading it, it's like, is this going to be the one? Um, is he going to bring rest? And that's going to be a huge theme for the life of Noah, yeah. is rest. And it says that after uh, Noah gave fathered, after Lamech fathered Noah, he lived 595 years. Thus, all the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. And I thought that mm-hmm. number was also interesting, again, mm-hmm. because these are very specific numbers. But And I'm, you know, me and my interest in numerology, am I reading things into it? Is that a way of, of you know, God, you know, telegraphing that, yes, this is, in fact, Noah is one who is going to free you because Noah comes in then building the ark and Jesus is the true ark. There's just a ton of <laughs> symbolism there. You know, it's like it all. So it, we're, we're in these chapters where there's tons of questions where we're kind of like we think, but we're not sure. You know, we, yeah. we still have the Nephilim to go maybe next week. Yeah. Uh, but I think you're right. You know, when it says that Lamech lives 777 years and he's the last generation before Noah, there's a sense in which God is communicating in that very specific number, completion. You know, three right. sevens, seven, seven, seven. And I was talking with uh, Dr. Gage, who's a really wonderful, Warren Gage, wonderful friend of mine, and he was theorizing, so I don't know that he would be excited for me to publicize this theory. (laughs) So he's not declaring it as thus saith the Lord, but he offered this theory that was really fascinating to me, that the number 666, like, you know, for math students, 777 is, you know, the idea is completion, right? right? Seven is the number of completion. But when you think 666, what do you, like in mathematics, it's like dot 666. What is it? It's like the beginning of an incomplete number. It's, it's you know, two-thirds, but that number 666666666 goes on forever and ever. And it's it's the idea of almost getting to completion, almost getting to that perfect seven, but you're stuck in this loop that can never finish. Hmm. Um, and it, it, there's this frustration of being incomplete. If you ever, if you're on a calculator and you do what you know, what is two divided by three? It's six 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 six. It can't get to the seven. Um, and so, just even that numeric idea is incomplete. It's never huh. satisfied. And I thought that's an interesting idea. God's bringing yeah. to completion the generations of Adam. You know, one of the other things that just historically speaking that's really fascinating is you look at lifespans like 777 years or Methuselah living 969 years. And one of the things that's fascinating is if you go into the ancient Near East cultures and you look at their most ancient writings, uh, for instance, the, the Sumerians, there's something called the Sumerian King List. And in the Sumerian King List, they had a flood. And that they remembered that swept over the whole region, 
and the kings who lived before the flood, you know, they write, they lived thousands of years, which is like even more extreme than the Bible, but there's a collective memory in the Sumerians, um, which is, you know, ancient Babylon, essentially, where they remember these kings lived insane lengths of time prior to the flood. In fact, the, the quote on the Sumerian kings list, which we still have, from ancient times, says eight kings reigned there 241,200 years. That's, that's real. <laughs> that's crazy lifespan. The flood swept there over. And I don't, I mean, I don't, of course, I don't think that's accurate, but there's a collective memory that says before this worldwide flood, people lived insane lengths of time. Um, the ancient Persians also had these same things where they wrote that some of their earliest kings, like King Jamshid, lived 700 years. You know, they, where in ancient times, pre-flood, they had centuries-long kings' lifespans. Mm. Um, and it's just interesting. I don't know what to do with that, but yeah. it does tell me that humanity carried this collective memory that people used to live a really long time. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. It is interesting. Don't know what to do with it, <laughs> you know. But it is interesting. There's something seared in the memory of humanity about people living a long time. Well, but we're going to let that now stand as our last word this week on Genesis chapter four and five. The genealogies are there. We're, that's all you got. That's all the genealogies we're going to give you. <laughs> um, we hope that you've enjoyed your time with us. This has been an interesting conversation for you as well, uh, and that you've gotten something from it. We do invite you to correspond with us if you have any questions or comments that you'd like to make. We have an email address, which is outofwater at riovistachurch.com. That domain name is riovistachurch.com. And that website also is where you can find all of the back episodes of Out of Water at riovistachurch.com slash outofwater, as well as you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Play. We'll be back next week with Noah, the Flood, the Ark, and the Nephilim. And we look forward to seeing you then. We hope you enjoyed your time with us and you will both subscribe to the podcast and listen regularly. You can find out more about Out of Water, catch up on past episodes, and access show notes at our website, riovistachurch.com slash outofwater. <laughs>